Good morning. I will be reading uh, John uh, chapter 4, 21 through 24. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. Good morning. This today is another one of those sermons that's uh, born out of my experience and struggle with life. And in this case, born out of my struggle with my day job. Uh, a part of my day job is to organize worship services. Uh, we do that about twice a week here. And um, I'm supposed to help um, corral everybody, head everybody in the same direction. I'm supposed to work on getting us out on time, which is hard to do a lot of the time. Uh, I work with a worship leader to coordinate a theme that will be meaningful to us in worship. Uh, I try to help make sure that we hear the announcements that need to be made publicly and yet not be overrun with announcements and uh, do a lot of those kind of things. And it gets to be a bit of a frustrating job. Uh, as you may know, there are some different opinions about how some of those things ought to be done. And um, a while back, a few months ago actually, uh, I was really frustrated and started feeling like maybe I'm not doing that job right. Maybe I'm not making the priority what the priority ought to be. And so I decided to go back to the Bible uh, and look for some guidance about worship. I think that's a good thing to do. And I came back across this great passage that Moses read in John chapter 4 about worship. Uh, it's a great, long passage, but we're just going to focus on that one paragraph about worship. Um, and I was reminded of some things, and I saw some new things. And might as well tell you, I was convicted about what I saw and kind of just need to confess that the concerns I've had about worship may not be wrong, but they're certainly not the most important concerns. And so I've been praying about that. And I've been trying to change that, trying to change my ways. Now, it occurs to me, and this is how a lot of my sermons happen, that maybe I'm not the only one whose primary concerns about worship are not the same as the primary concerns about worship in the Bible. And so I thought maybe it'd be worth sharing with you some of the things I found in this passage um, that I think give us insight into how worship is supposed to be. And that's what I want to do this morning. I'll do this in three little segments. Um, I'll talk a little bit, and then we'll worship. And I'll talk and we'll worship, and I'll talk and we'll worship. And maybe we can grow in our understanding and our practice of worship. So if you picked up one of the note sheets off the tables in the lobbies, uh, there are a few blanks to fill in. The first one is, uh, God is seeking true worshipers. 
God is seeking true worshipers. This passage is concerned not just with worshiping, but with worshipers. Three times in this passage, Jesus refers to the worshipers. Worship matters, but so does the people. So do the people who are worshiping. Uh, You may remember in Genesis 4, there's a little passage about worship. Cain and Abel are going to offer worship to God. And long before the law was given that tells when to do an animal sacrifice and when to do a harvest sacrifice, the Bible says God had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. God first had regard for the person and then for the offering. The person who is offering the worship really matters. And that's, that's worth knowing. Now, when, when you talk about true worshipers, God is seeking true worshipers. That kind of indicates the idea of False worshipers. If there are true worshipers, there are also false worshipers. And my guess is, as soon as I say false worshipers, things come streaming into our minds. And we can think of people that we consider to be false worshipers. You know, maybe it's that other church down the road somewhere. Or maybe it's that person sitting in here right now that does really annoying things during the worship service. Or that doesn't do a single thing during the worship service. Um, well, you may, you may be right about whatever you're thinking. I think maybe we read the Bible with more integrity if we think first about ourselves. Have you ever considered whether you might be a false worshiper? Is it possible that you could be a false worshiper? In Proverbs 16 and verse 2, The Bible says all of a person's ways seem right to them, but the Lord tests the spirit. And it may be that all of our ways of worship seem right to us, but the Lord might be, well, he is. He's testing our spirit, and he might find that we are lacking in our spirit. True and false worship may not have so much to do with the particular things you do, although that matters some. But I think we're going to find the focus in this passage is not on the things you do, but on who we are, what's in our spirit, what's in our attitude, what's in our life. In Psalm 24, the psalmist raises the question, who may ascend the mount of the Lord, that is Jerusalem, who may stand in the holy place, that is the temple? And the answer is, the one whose hands are clean and whose heart is pure. So I'm wondering, are your hands clean? And is your heart pure? And what kind of spirit 
did you bring to worship today? And is it a spirit and is it a lifestyle that would qualify you as a true worshiper? And my guess is that we can all improve there. Uh, and, I, and I believe we all need to keep coming before God and humbling ourselves, asking Him to test our spirit, asking Him to show us our sins, asking Him to forgive our sins and cleanse our hearts. And so we're going to take some time to do that right now through a prayer song and then through a prayer and then through the Lord's Supper, we want to invite the Lord to examine our hearts and purify our hearts. So let's do that. Break my... The second phrase from this passage that I want to underscore about worship is uh, that we are to worship the Father. We are to worship the Father. Jesus says that a couple of times uh, in the passage. The word worship means bow. Um, this word for worship means to bow. You bow to someone that you consider to be superior to you. And we don't do a lot of bowing in our society, probably because we don't consider anybody to be superior to us. Uh, but we do recognize that God is superior to us, and so we bow down in reverence before him. That's right at the heart of worship. Now, I'm going to give you a little uh, spoiler alert here. Today, right here in church, we're going to invite you to bow down before God. Right here in the church building. Now, I know you may not be able to do that. <clears throat> you may not be dressed for it. You may be uh, juggling kids. Um, you may have bad knees. It may take too long. Um, you older folks know what I'm talking about. It may take too long to get back up. The popping of your knees may be a distraction. There's a lot of reasons why you might not be able to do that. Uh, but it's really okay to do if you want to. And so we're going to give you an invitation to do that in just a little bit. If you, if you don't do that here, if you don't want to, that's totally fine. But I would encourage you to do it at some point at home or whatever, uh, because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. And besides that, our body talks to our spirit. Our body, when our body does things like bow down, it reminds us internally that we are bowing before God. And by all means, uh, whether you bow down physically or not, by all means, uh, bow down in your heart, bow down in your spirit, um, and don't think that merely bowing down physically is all that's required. Um, so, so we're going to have a chance to do that in a little bit. Okay, now the, the next thing is that we bow to the Father. And it's interesting 
this woman, when she talks about worship, she doesn't mention who she might be worshiping. In verse 20, uh, right before where we read, she says, Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. But neither time did she mention who she might be worshiping. And I wondered if that was significant or if that was just a coincidence. And I don't really know for sure. But I do know that Jesus went on to say, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. So whether it's a coincidence or not, she didn't know what she was worshiping. And you may know that the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. There was no New Testament yet. And they didn't accept Joshua through Malachi. Now you can learn a lot about God in the first five books of the Old Testament. But think how much you miss about God if you don't have Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and all the prophets. And think how much you miss about God and worship if you don't have the book of Psalms. So when Jesus said, you worship what you do not know, that's really accurate. She didn't know what she worshipped. And I'm not sure it was a coincidence that she doesn't mention who she might be worshipping. It's kind of like the way we do sometimes. We say, hey, after worship, let's go to lunch. It's just kind of a shorthand. But when you say it like that, you're kind of leaving out the most important part, which is God. We worship the Father. And she was leaving that out. But in contrast, Jesus says we worship God. And specifically in this passage, that we worship God as Father. We worship someone who knows us and loves us like a father. You have a little bit of that idea in the Old Testament, but Jesus brought it to a whole new level and depth of meaning, revealing God as our Father, knowing what's going on in our lives all the time, caring about us, providing for us, giving us good gifts, like salvation, he mentions in particular. Our Father has given us so many good gifts. He's the one we worship. And that doesn't mean he's a pushover father. We don't take him lightly. Fathers in first century Judaism were revered. Uh, They were very distinguished. And don't forget, we are bowing before the Father, which indicates his greatness. And don't forget that fathers also discipline their children, as the Bible specifically says about God and us. So when Jesus says we worship the Father, it's this mixture of love and compassion and closeness and warmth and good gifts coupled with reverence and respect and discipline, he's the one we worship. He's the one we bow to. Now, Christmas is coming, as Casey reminded us, in case you've forgotten. 
And I know some of you are going to struggle, like I do pretty often, with what to get for that person you need to get a gift for. Uh, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a child or a parent or a friend or a roommate. But you're going to get them this gift, and since we do this pretty often, kind of seems like it comes up every month to me. We do this pretty often, and you can kind of lose track of what should I be getting them and can't think of anything and don't know what to get them. And you can Google ideas if you want to, but I'm wondering if a better idea is to make a little more of an investment and reflect on who that person is and what they mean to you and what you share together in your history, if you have a long history, and what they've done for you and what you've done for them. And maybe by reflecting on that person, you can come up with just the right gift and also give it in just the right way. Which makes me think that if we're going to worship the Father, maybe one of the best things we can do is reflect on Him and who He is to us and what He means to us and what He's done for us and what we've shared together. And maybe by reflecting on that, we will be more likely to be true worshipers who bow before the Father. And so we're going to sing a song now about God as Father, a song that will call us to worship Him as Father. And then we'll also have a chance to bow down to Him. But let's start by standing to sing. Let's stand as we sing this next. You may be seated. The third thing I wanted to highlight in this passage is that we are to worship in spirit and truth. Uh, True worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now there's a lot of different understandings of what he means when he says worship in spirit and truth. And I don't know how we could ever say for sure what that means. But i tell you the thing that makes best sense to me um, as I've looked at it, and to put it briefly, it is to worship authentically. Uh, worship from your true self. Um, and I'll, I'll give a couple of details on that and try not to get bogged down You can look at the details on the note sheet if you want to. But worship in spirit could refer to the Holy Spirit. Uh, In fact, I'm certain that today in Christ we worship by the Holy Spirit. Paul says that. Philippians 3, 3, we worship by the Spirit of God. Uh, And he says in Romans 8 that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit helps us pray. And the Spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. So there's no doubt the Spirit helps us worship. But the thing that makes me think uh, that that's not what he's talking about in this passage is that the Spirit had not yet been given when Jesus said this. Uh, He says the time is coming and now is 
when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The time is coming and now is when they will worship in spirit and truth. And the spirit hadn't been given yet. So I don't don't know if that's a technicality or not, but I do know that our spirit can worship God and that it ought to. Uh, We mentioned a while ago in the Proverbs, it says that the Lord tests the spirit. Um, Isaiah says, in the in the nighttime, I yearn for you, O God. And in the morning, my spirit longs for you. Both soul and spirit long for God. And I think that's what he wants. Uh, I think that's how we're supposed to show up. Longing for God. Sometimes we sing that song, the Mag- Magnificat. Uh, Mary's song where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's the kind of worship Jesus is talking about, I believe, where our spirit magnifies the Lord, where our spirit bows down before him. Uh, The truth, worship in spirit and truth, I think is all about Jesus. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Uh, Jesus came to testify to the truth. Jesus was, is the truth, as well as the way and the life. Um, At the time when Jesus was brought to trial... Um, he tells Pilate he's come to testify to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? I consider Pilate to be the original postmodern. You know, what is truth? And it's kind of interesting because he didn't think that question could be answered. But just a few verses after he said that, John begins to record the ultimate truth of Jesus' death. And then his resurrection. And those who know that truth and hold to Jesus' teachings are truly his disciples. And Jesus says they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free from their slavery to sin so that they live lives of worship. And they are sanctified by the truth. And his word is the truth. The truth is all about Jesus. And so I think to worship him in truth is to know and experience the truth of Jesus and live accordingly. And if you live that way all week long, then when you come together in a setting like this, you can offer true worship to God. Now, spirit and truth need to be put together. That's one thing, kind of two ideas, but put together. And I think when you put them together, it comes out as authentically. It's real. This is what my life is devoted to. And this is what's deep within me. And we cry out and worship. And we bow down and worship from what is deep within us. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Now one other thing, something I hadn't seen before 
I hadn't noticed. In verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The word must is a little bitty word, three letters. It's day, D-E-I. To me, that means don't ever ignore. This is something that must happen. This is necessary. It's what that word means. So back to where I started this morning, I got to thinking about all my concerns for the worship service. And you know, it's not necessary to get out on time. And it's not necessary to sing the kind of songs you want to sing. And it's not necessary to have any certain number of announcements. And it's not necessary to have any sequence of the events. But it is necessary that we worship the Father in spirit and truth. That must happen. And if you think about this woman and the concerns that she brought to the conversation, you know, the pressing issue of the day, should we worship on Mount Gerizim or should we worship in Jerusalem? Uh, all, all the controversies that there are today about worship are of some importance. But getting those right is not necessary. What's necessary is that we worship Him in spirit and truth. And I, I didn't prepare this sermon so I could say this, but having prepared it, uh, it is a relevant application as we think about the role of women in the church over the next few months, um, if we figure out exactly what's right about that, whatever you think that may be, but we don't worship in spirit and truth, our worship will be in vain. And that applies to any of the controversial issues that you can think of. And I could only wish that we would have as much emotion and passion and devotion and time and energy and endurance for worshiping in spirit and truth as we do for discussing controversial issues. And that applies to whatever yours is. You know, for some of you, it's the songs. For some of you, it's the sequence. For some of you, it's what the preacher wears Thought I'd sneak some jeans in today since I was making that point. Uh, for some of you, uh, it, it's the Lord's Supper. For some, you know, it's all these different things. But what is necessary is that we worship Him in spirit and truth. And so as I'm prone to do, I want to invite you to give us your input as worship. But today I want to invite you differently. Give us your input on worship just as soon as you have spent several hours on your knees asking God to search your heart and enable you to worship Him in spirit and truth. Because if we don't get that, nothing else will matter. 
And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that again right now through these songs. <laughs>